Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. We are going to continue our uh, series that we are walking through, and we're calling it B-List. And, and I told you last week, the, uh, the, the theme behind that is to take a look at some of the characters in the story of the coming of Jesus that maybe culture overlooks sometimes. There are many characters in the story that played really important roles, but um, they're not the A-listers, right? Like Mary and Joseph and Jesus and the shepherds and the wise men, but there's some other people who are a part of the story, and we want to take some time to look at their story. And we started last week by looking at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we noted that Luke, when he started his gospel story, he didn't start with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. He started in chapter 1 by introducing us to this couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we looked at their story, and we saw that they were two godly, faithful, righteous people before the Lord, followers of God. And they longed for two things. With the rest of Israel, they longed for the coming of Messiah. But then between the two of them, they had a deep desire for children, especially to have a son. And, and Elizabeth being barren, they prayed, they hoped that the Lord might give them a child. But as they got older... It began to look like maybe the Lord wasn't going to give them what they asked for. Maybe God wasn't going to give them a child because they were getting so old that they probably began to think, maybe it's too late. We're, we're too old. And maybe the Lord hasn't answered us. But then, as Zechariah is fulfilling his service in the temple, and he's chosen, ordained by God, to fill this role of, of, of offering incense at the altar of incense in the temple and he goes there for this once in a lifetime thing for a priest and and the angel of the Lord Gabriel comes and speaks to Zechariah and he and he says to Zechariah and I remember the words from last week he says don't be afraid Zechariah because why because God has heard you and what hope we can have in the fact that that even when it seems like God's not listening or it seems like he's silent, or, or it seems like he's not moving, that we can still trust and hope that there's a promise for those who follow him that he does hear us, that he's not forgotten us. And the angel tells Zechariah that you and Elizabeth will conceive, and you will have a son, and you will name him John, and he would become John the Baptist, and John would be the, pre- the predecessor, the one to come before Jesus to Prepare the hearts of the people for the kingdom. And so we saw the message. We saw the, the, the revelation to Zechariah here. And now we're going to pick up kind of where we left off. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. And I want us to take a look at what was Zechariah's response. This is sort of the second half of the story. What, how, what was his response to this revelation? And how did the Lord work through Zechariah's response to bring to fruition what he was planning. So look at verse 18. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. So Zechariah has been praying and asking God for a child for years and years and years. 
And now he has this supernatural experience of the angel Gabriel coming before him to speak and, and to answer and say, God has heard you, and he's going to answer your prayers. He's going to give you a son. We would kind of expect Zechariah's first response to be positive. We, we would expect his, his, his first response to be full of joy and excitement and anticipation and gratefulness. But the first thing he says is, how, how can this happen? I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, and it's almost as if he, he says to the angel, I, this doesn't make any sense. Because I'm old. My wife is old. She's past the years of childbearing. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. And it's kind of ironic that Zechariah asked, how can this be true? Because he was a priest. And if Zechariah was a priest, that means he knew the scriptures well. And he knew that God had already done this before. With Abraham and Sarah. He knew what the scripture said. And it's, it's kind of funny because it's not like God was stepping into uncharted territory for himself. It's not like God had never done this before, given a child to a couple who was beyond what we would consider childbearing years. This is, this is not a difficult thing. It's not as if God's trying this out for the first time. He's done it before. But Zechariah, knowing the scriptures, he still has doubt. He says, I, I don't understand. And you think about the circumstances around how Zechariah heard this. He, he was serving. He was in the midst of serving in worship. He had been praying and asking. And he knew the testimony of the scriptures. But yet when, when Gabriel says, hey, the Lord has answered. And God's answer is yes. God wanted Zechariah's answer back to be yes. But Zechariah's answer back was, ah, really? I don't know. And it would be really easy for us to read this. And look at the circumstances and go, well, how silly is Zechariah? How, how in the world does he not believe what God has said through the angel? I mean, if nothing else, there's an angel in front of you telling you this. So there's that. Like, what are you going to do? Like, if, if for no other reason, I would be listening to that. And it would be real easy for us to go, wow, how did he not believe it, God made it so plain and so clear that what the answer was. That caused me to ask myself a question that I want to ask you. Why is it that it's so hard for you to believe what God has already said? We can, we can be kind of judgmental on Zechariah right here. And say, wow, how could he not believe? God made it very plain and clear. This is... This is what was going to happen, and Zechariah doubts that God can do this. Why do we doubt the things that he already has said in his word he's going to do? Because we, we struggle. Maybe we don't really believe as much as we say we do. How often do you pray and pray and hope and hope for something and then act surprised when God actually does it. Don't we do that? 
Don't we pray and petition the Lord to, to, to heal people that we know, people who uh, heal diseases and to, and to do miracles in our lives and in our families and in our jobs. And we pray in our church and say, God, just make, make this happen. And then when he does, we go, wow, he actually did it. <laughs> like, why are we surprised that he's faithful? Um, listen to what James says in James chapter 1. Just, just one example here. In verse 5 of chapter 1, James says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. So stop right there. Verse 5, there's a promise there. God says, If you come to me for wisdom instead of trying to figure it out yourself, Seeking after the wisdom of the world, you come to me and to my word looking for wisdom. I'm gladly going to give you wisdom. I'm not going to hold that back from you. It says he gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. He's not going to scold us. He's going to say, yes, I've been waiting. I'd like, of course I'm going to give you wisdom. It says, and he will give it. But look at verse 6. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person, listen, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Why would we ask God for something and then doubt when his answer is yes? (laughs) But rather than not giving Zechariah anything, rather than, as, as James was saying, God, God can say, wow, if you pray and then doubt, you may not, you, James says you shouldn't expect to get anything from the Lord. But there's a grace for Zechariah here because Zechariah's doubting what he's asked for, but the Lord says, you know what, what I'm doing, like we said last week, God is working a plan in our lives and the circumstances that he works around in our life are not just for us they're for him they're for his glory and so he's working a plan to accomplish his purpose in the world and and there's this beautiful grace where he answers our prayers and he and he brings blessings in and out of our lives and so Zechariah has asked for a son and God has said yes I'm going to make John, a part of the story and the plan that I have for my glory, for what my son is going to accomplish, but I'm going to bring that blessing into your life. And he wanted Zechariah to believe, to respond in faith, but Zechariah's response was in disbelief. And it wasn't just in his mind and in his heart, but it was with his mouth. He says, I don't believe. He was basically saying, I need a sign. How can this be? And it's almost as if Gabriel says, uh, what more of a sign do you need than me? (laughs) Here I am. This is what God has said. And so so Gabriel responds to Zechariah. Look in verse 19. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. That there is an authoritative statement of of Gabriel's status and the authority he had. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God 
and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So Gabriel responds and he says, what the Lord has said will happen. But because of your lack of faith, because of your lack of belief, Zechariah, you are going to be made silent where you are not able to speak. He responds with with this authority, I am Gabriel. Um, Almost as if I kind of picture Gabriel being like, "Uh, Zechariah, I don't think you know who you're talking to. Like, do you know who I am? <laughs> I am not just one of the many angels that the Lord has created to, uh, to follow his commands and send his messages. I am, I am the man. I'm the top dog. Gabriel is like the archangel of all the messengers. He is the boss. And so God just didn't send one of the, one of the other guys to come tell you. He sent me. <laughs> this is a big, big deal. And he tells Zechariah that there's going to be, because of Zechariah's doubt, because of his disbelief, that there's going to be a a, a discipline, a consequence for that. And he would not be able to talk. And you say, well, that's a strange kind of discipline. Like, that's that's kind of weird and random. Like, why would he just say, well, you can't talk, Zechariah. We're going to take your voice away from you. I'm going to take it away where you can't speak. And the scripture doesn't say specifically why God chose to to bring this discipline into Zechariah's life. But I've got some ideas. Zechariah expressed his disbelief. How? With With his mouth, right? And God was about to do something great. He was about to bring John the Baptist into the world who was going to be the one to make the way for Jesus. He was, this is the backstory for Jesus. He's preparing the way. And he didn't want Zachariah's disbelief to hinder the plan. So he says, Zachariah, because you've, because you've spoken this disbelief out of your mouth, I'm going to close your mouth. And I think maybe... Part of it was because he didn't want Zachariah's disbelief to spread to the, to the people. If Zachariah shares his story and says, wow, the angel came to me in there and told me this, but nah, I don't know about that. If he confessed that same doubt. But then also, it's not just, it's not just that I think that God closed his mouth because he didn't want anybody else to, to hear Zachariah's disbelief. I think he didn't want Zechariah to hear his own disbelief anymore. Because we do know, and, 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 you've, and you've probably experienced it, that the more you hear yourself say something, the more you'll start to believe it. Have you ever felt that way before? So maybe in part of that, God is saying, Zechariah, I want you to just close your mouth. I don't want to hear you speak any of that anymore. Because what I've said is true. And no matter what you say, it's going to happen. 
And you say, well, that sounds kind of harsh. I don't, I don't think it was such a harsh discipline for Zechariah. I think, actually, God was dealing very graciously with Zechariah. Because I think there's another element to it. In closing Zechariah's mouth and not allowing Zechariah to, to let his disbelief come out of his mouth and speak it, he was allowing Zechariah room in his mind and heart for his faith to grow and get bigger. Um, here's a point. Silencing our expressions of doubt gives faith more room to grow in our hearts. I think sometimes we can become our own worst enemy when it comes to believing what God's word says. Because we can listen to, just listen to the way you hear yourself talk. Listen to the things that we, we it's, it's so much easier sometimes to talk about the difficulties and the chances that this won't happen. As it is to just believe that what God's word says is true. And so, in silencing Zechariah, there's this, there's this grace, I think, that God says, Zechariah, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to talk about how you don't believe it anymore. Because in this season of silence in your life, because you're not going to be able to speak your disbelief, you're going to have to wrestle with your disbelief on the inside. And you're going to watch me do everything that I'm going to do. And slowly but surely, I'm going to replace that disbelief in your heart with with true faith, to know and to believe that what I've said is going to be true. So I think there's discipline for Zechariah, but there's also grace in this, in this judgment or this punishment that he gives him. And also, I think, if obviously, if seeing Gabriel was not sign enough, that God was going to do something. I'm pretty sure that if Zechariah didn't really believe the angel, he probably believed a little bit more when he found out he couldn't talk. <laughs> like, oh, wait. Maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I should have said that. Because <laughs> maybe what he says is really true. Because he sees a direct effect. Gabriel says, well, this is what's going to happen now. Zechariah, you can't talk anymore. And Zechariah maybe is thinking, what do you mean I can't talk? Wait a minute, I can't talk. Wow, <laughs> what he says is right. So there's, there, there's this opportunity for Zechariah's faith to grow in the midst of this silence. So let's keep reading. So the, all this happens with Zechariah in, inside the temple there, within, close to the Holy of Holies. Verse 21 says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. It didn't usually take that long for the priest to go in and conduct that part of the ceremony of worship. And so he was in there much longer, and they started to wonder, what's wrong with him? Maybe he, maybe he died in the presence of the Lord. Maybe something's happened. Uh, we don't know. Verse 22, When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary and he was making signs to them and remained speechless. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. 
She said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. So Zechariah goes out to the people and they're expecting to hear a word from him and he can't talk. And it says that they realized when he couldn't talk that something extraordinary had happened. Something unusual had happened. So I think that God was already, even in that moment, beginning to spark the faith of the people and the fact that that Zechariah comes out and he can't talk. And people are thinking, something's happening. What, What is this? And it says that he was making signs to them and remained speechless. That doesn't really imply that he was speaking some kind of formal sign language because there probably was not anything like that. Um, Zachariah wouldn't have known it. The people wouldn't have known it. I, I almost kind of joke and think maybe this was like the first game of charades ever in the Bible. Like he comes out and he's, and he's trying to explain to them, well, this is... A, I can't use any words, but here's what happened. I went there and the big, and, you know, and he's trying to explain to them what it is that, what it is that's happened. And they, and they, and they're, and they're having difficulty understanding. And, and this also would have taken away the fact that he couldn't speak would have taken away some of Zechariah's ability to fulfill his ministry in the temple because he couldn't teach. He couldn't. Speak, And so when his time was finished, he went back home. And there's nothing in the scriptures there to, to help us understand what that would have been like. But I like to try to imagine. He goes home to Elizabeth. And she doesn't know what's happening. And he comes home to her and he can't speak. And she's worried. Well, what, what has happened? But he can write, and we'll see later on how he uses that. But I imagine maybe there's this conversation that he comes home and he has to sit down at the table with her. And, and maybe he starts to write out what this encounter has been like. He begins to say, this is what happened when I went to the temple to serve. And this is who appeared, and this is what he said. And then this is what I said. And then, and then this is what he said, and then, and then I didn't say anything. <laughs> but the Lord made another promise, even in closing my mouth, that, that he said when the promise was fulfilled, I, he, I would be able to speak again. And so he, he gives this news to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth's response, I don't think, was one of... Of doubt, I think God was using what was going on with Zechariah to give Elizabeth more faith. To know that, wow, what God has said is really going to be true. And verse 24 says that they conceived and she kept herself in seclusion for five months. And you say, well, why would she have done that? Five months is about how long it maybe would have taken for her to start showing that she was pregnant. And maybe because disbelief was the, was, was the sin that, that Zechariah was guilty of that caused God to close his mouth, she understood how important it was to, to guard the, the belief 
And if she were to go out, basically if she were to go out immediately after that and say, hey, this is what the Lord has told us, we're going to have a baby, how many people would have believed her? There's no physical sign of that. She's old. There would have been more people just like Zechariah who would have had to have spoken with their mouths and say, ah, well, are you sure about that, Elizabeth? I don't know about that. And so had she gone out and, and started telling everybody, more people would have been speaking unbelief just like Zechariah did. And so she waited for five months until it was obvious so that then she could go out and say, look what God has done. Look what he's doing. Where it couldn't be denied anymore. She celebrated. She was joyful. And she says something that I think is really beautiful in verse 25. Luke quotes her and says, The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. She, she probably tried. Her and Zachariah probably tried many, many times to have a child so that she wouldn't have to bear the shame and disgrace of not being able to have children. And now she says, I don't have to try to get rid of my own shame anymore because God's done it for me. He's taken away my shame. And isn't that what God does for us in our salvation? In through Jesus' work on the cross that he takes away the shame of our sinfulness before God. That as Jesus died and suffered on the cross with our sin, Scripture says that he, he bore the shame of our own sin. So he takes away, God takes away the, the shame of Elizabeth's barrenness. And in our faith, he takes away the shame of our sin through the cross. So we have these two characters and they are faithful, genuine believers, but they're flawed. They're not perfect. Zechariah certainly is not perfect, but they are described by Luke as being humble, righteous, obedient, prayerful people. But even though they're not perfect, they also struggled with doubt. They struggled with fear. And God had to discipline Zechariah, but yet he still chose them, in spite of their shortcomings, to be an important piece that had to be in place for Jesus to come. And he chose to use them even though they weren't perfect. And aren't you glad that he still uses broken, imperfect people? I want us to fast forward a little bit. Luke continues his narrative, and he, after this, he gives us the, the account of Gabriel then going to, to Nazareth, giving the news uh, to Mary, and then he tells us about Mary's joy, and then the encounter with Mary going to visit Elizabeth, and the conversation that, that they have about what God is doing with the babies that are in both of their wombs. And, but I want us to skip a little bit 
because we're focusing on Zachariah and Elizabeth. Like, how does this, how does this end? Like, what, what happens? He goes home. He tells Elizabeth, God's faithful. John is conceived, and he begins to grow. And, and then, but how does it end up? Skip down to verse 57 in chapter 1. It says, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Promise fulfilled, right? Verse 58, then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. And when they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, meaning John, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. She remembered the word of Gabriel and said it was common for children to be named after their fathers or other male members of their family. But Elizabeth says, no, no, this, is, this one is different. His name will be John. In verse 61, but they, then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. That's not, that's not customary, Elizabeth. You're, you're supposed to name him after somebody in your family. You don't have anybody in your family named John. So they kind of dismiss her. Look at verse 62. So they motioned to his father. They go to Zechariah to find out what he wanted him to be called. So here is an opportunity. Here's Zechariah's moment. Verse 63, I love what Zechariah does. He asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote four words on it. His name is John, just like Elizabeth said. And they were all amazed. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened, And his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them, and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. No kidding. Verse 66, all who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. They bring him to the temple to be circumcised. Elizabeth says, no, this one is special. His name is John. Oh, really, Elizabeth? Zechariah, what do you want to name him? And there's something powerful. God had fulfilled the promise. And you remember God made a promise. The angel Gabriel told Zechariah that you will be silent until, until the promise is fulfilled. Well, John had already been born. John had been born for eight days. But Zechariah still couldn't talk. And you say, well, well, why not? Because part of the promise was the fulfillment and the completion of Zechariah's faith. And so when they handed him that tablet, and he had the chance to respond... Rather than respond in doubt and say, no, name him this. Or name him after me. When, when Zechariah took that tablet and he wrote, his name is John. 
what he was really writing was what God said is true. (laughs) It was Zechariah's proclamation of his faith, that his faith had come full circle. At the beginning, he was like, I just don't know. I don't know if this is true, but through the experience, through the discipline of that silence and watching God grow his son in Elizabeth's womb and watching her, it grew his faith. And he couldn't speak his doubt anymore. And so because he, didn't, he couldn't speak his doubt out loud, he had, to, he had to wrestle with it. And the more and more God graciously brought him along and showed him sign after sign and all of the things that Zechariah needed to be able to believe. God provided all those things. And then when he had a moment in front of all of them, his name is John. God's word is true. And so God opened his mouth. And the first thing out of his mouth was what? Worship. Praise. For what God had done. John would grow to be the forerunner of Jesus. And prepare the hearts of the people for the Messiah. I want to ask you a question this morning. What is something that you struggle to believe? What's something maybe in your life? Something about God's word. Something that he said that you just really don't know if it's true or not. What promises are there in his word that you're just really having trouble thinking, I, I just don't know. That sounds good. But I just don't know if it's really going to be true. I want you to be encouraged this morning, but at the same time, there's a point that I think Zachariah's story says to us as believers, as people who claim to believe what this book says. Zachariah's mouth was open when his life and his proclamation reflected his faith. And it made a difference. And you saw the reaction of the people. When he named him John, the people were amazed. And then when they saw him be able to speak, all of a sudden they were amazed at that. And Zachariah's obedience to believe became a catalyst in the lives of all the other people. And then word started to spread, and they were like, who is this child going to be? He's, he's special. And so God was already beginning to prepare the hearts of the people for the Messiah, even before John the Baptist was even born, in this moment. So there's a, there's a key here between Zechariah's disobedience and his obedience and what that did. I want you to remember this. Disobedience will take away our voice for God in the world. And obedience amplifies our voice for his truth. Because of Zechariah's disobedience, his voice was taken away. You know what God will do in your life as well? When we are disobedient, when I'm disobedient, the voice of my testimony in the world can be taken away. You know why? Because nobody will believe it. If I proclaim a gospel that says one thing and my life of disobedience says something else, my voice falls on deaf ears. Nobody will believe it. 
So just like God desired obedience in Zechariah, he desires obedience in us. And when, when Zechariah was disobedient, God took his voice away. When we are disobedient, God will take our voice away. Nobody will listen. But what about when we are obedient? What about in those moments like Zechariah had when he was before the people and he was obedient? Finally, his faith had come full circle and he said, his name is John. And everybody was blown away. Our obedience, just like our disobedience will silence our voice in the world for the kingdom, our obedience amplifies it. When we obey, when we are following after him, then all of a sudden when we speak the testimony of the scriptures, we speak what God is doing in our lives, people will pay attention because they see that something's different, that something's real. So don't let, we can't let our disobedience take away our voice. But to obey so that our voice can be amplified for his glory, for his work, for what he's doing all around us.